Sex After Adultery, on this edition of Truth in Love. I'm Heath Lambert, and you're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. I'm joined this week on the podcast with Dr. Deepak Reju, who is the pastor of biblical counseling and family ministry at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and who is also the author with Jeremy Pierre of The Pastor and Counseling, a book that equips church leaders to know how to do biblical counseling ministry. And I asked Dr. Reju onto the podcast this week because we want to talk about the complications that flow into a marriage after a partner has committed adultery. In particular, I want to examine this issue of how does a couple be restored in their sexual relationship after one party has been unfaithful. So, Dr. Reju, I want to just begin by asking you, what are some of the reasons that a couple might legitimately suspend their sexual relationship in the aftermath of adultery? Well, Heath, one reason why a couple might suspend the sexual relationship in the aftermath of adultery is the spouse that was betrayed is taking time to evaluate if he or she wants to remain in the marriage. So Matthew 5 and 19, the traditional evangelical approach to adultery, for most evangelicals to say it's grounds for divorce, and and yet God models faithfulness even when we're sinful against him. So we want to encourage couples in such a difficult situation to reconcile before they rush to thinking about divorce and think through what it means to recover the marriage and work hard at the process of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us there's, uh, in the marriage, there are conjugal rights in the marriage, and conjugal is a word that says that in marriage, a husband and wife have the privilege of physical intimacy with his or her spouse. In adultery, those rights are temporarily suspended as the husband or the wife consider whether they're going to stay in the marriage anymore. And in the aftermath of adultery, I've actually encouraged couples not to consummate their marriage again, to not have intercourse until they've made that decision of whether they're going to stay committed and stay in the marriage, rather than rushing to be intimate quickly in the midst of all the confusion that they're experiencing. That's the first reason. Uh, second reason would be because trust is shattered because of the betrayal of adultery. You'd expect it to be hard for the spouse who's been betrayed to make him or herself vulnerable again in the marriage right away. So the principle I'd put out is in marriage, the sexual relationship is a sign or picture of the emotional and spiritual state of the marriage. So when the relationship's in shambles, sex is one of the first things that go. So a simple way to say it is when there's no trust— in a marriage, there's usually no sex. Um, sex is the ultimate act of making yourself vulnerable or expose to someone else, and you don't naturally make yourself vulnerable to anyone, but only those who you trust and those who, you're, who are committed to your good. And God's intention for sex is to happen in the most safest of all places, which is marriage. And you find the security and the safety of a permanent commitment in marriage, and that's the place where Scripture traces out in the midst of that covenant between a man and a woman, in which you see that long-term commitment, that's where sex is intended to be. 
So sometimes out of uh, fear of the future or self-righteous indignation or just simply a lustful craving, the adulterer pressures a spouse who they've betrayed to have sex again. Or sometimes the spouse who is betrayed, despite the pain or confusion or anger, will have sex with the adulterer out of a deep-seated fear of losing their spouse or just some other reason. But the most natural and loving thing I think to do is to wait to have sex and not to rush into it right after the adultery. That's two reasons why they might temporarily suspend. I'm sure there's more, but that gives us some sense of why some couples would choose to wait. What about concerns about sexually transmitted diseases? Does that figure into this equation at all? Yeah, I mean, that's a a natural and important concern. Um, This is where we're going to ask the adulterer to go get tested um, and for them to start having a real conversation based on what they find. You know, it's if there is something that the adulterer has picked up, it's a it's a natural consequence of their foolish choices. Hmm. And this is then going to affect the betrayed spouse and make hard decisions that they're going to have to have. Now, I'm not going to tell them not to have sex, um, but there are implications now that um, I, most couples are looking at and never imagine actually having to face in their marriage. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we're in the deep in the realm of wisdom and prudence and starting to advise a couple to think through what they do from that point on, especially if the test comes back positive. Mm-hmm. They've picked up some kind of STD or something else that's now going to affect the marriage. How would a couple, during a season of sort of suspending their sexual relationship, how would they know when it's time to reconnect sexually? So if we want to take the two reasons I mentioned in the, in the first question, you want to build off of that. So reason number one is the betrayed spouse evaluating if he or she wants to remain in the marriage. Well, if the spouse who was betrayed decides to stay in the marriage and commits himself or herself to the process of reconciliation, then I want them to be intimate at whatever point they feel they're ready to consummate the marriage. Sex builds unity between a husband and wife. It's a, it's a means in which God uses to help foster the oneness. So in that sense, while we're helping the couple to recover their relationship, any, any way in which they decide to be intimate with each other, it turns out to be an ally to the counselor in the process of recovery. But sex, or really any intimacy, is a means that the Lord uses to foster the unity and oneness with the spouse. In adultery... The betrayal creates a deep division between the husband and wife, and sex can help rebuild that oneness. But sex alone can't rebuild a marriage. So I had a friend who would say, you can't fix a marriage by taking off your clothes, but by opening up your mouth and communicating with your spouse. And that that quote has stuck with me for years, because I think he's right. Some people rush to sex feeling like somehow it'll cover over the mistakes they've made, and yet unless they take the time to do the really hard work of getting at the weaknesses and the problems in the marriage that have now been unleashed because of the adultery, that have probably been hidden there and they haven't been seriously dealing with, unless they start taking the time to deal with the, that stuff seriously, it's just going to sex is going to feel meaningless. Mm-hmm. The second reason I had given was because trust is shattered because of the betrayal 
You'd expect it would be hard for the spouse who's been betrayed to make himself or herself vulnerable again. So my tweetable phrase was, no trust, no sex. So we just flip that over, and we say you'd expect the opposite to be true. As trust returns, so also the desire for intimacy will naturally follow after that. As a pastor, my my focus is often helping the couple rebuild the relationship, and I put most of my energy there. And usually as you see the relationship repaired and rebuilt over time, then what you see, sex follow often after that. So as trust is rebuilt, then you see intimacy becomes a part of the conversation naturally without having to force it. So let's say the couple has not consummated the marriage again, and they stay committed to reconciling and rebuilding a marriage, and over time they're doing the hard work of recovery. Usually there's been an occasion or two where I suddenly realized after we've done weeks or months of rebuilding their marriage, thought, oh, this seems like a good time for them to start, if they haven't already, making sure that they're being intimate again. So I'll go in and ask them, have you guys had sex? And every once in a while they'll say, oh, we're waiting for you to tell us when we can. I'm like, really? (laughs) You're waiting for me? (laughs) I know I have pastoral authority, but I don't want authority in those kind of things. (laughs) If you're ready, then go for it. Stop listening or waiting for me to tell you when to do that. (laughs) So, you know, then there was this one occasion where there was this couple that was separated and we were doing the hard work of rebuilding their marriage and things got a lot better. And I had that moment. I thought, oh, I hope they're being intimate again. I'm going to ask them next session. I did. ask them, so how are you doing? Are, are you guys being intimate with each other? Have you, have you had sex? And they were like high school kids on the couch, like giggling suddenly. <laughs> and it turned out that the prior session had gone so well, they went and got a hotel room because they couldn't resist each other anymore. I'm like, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need my permission. Yeah. Once they've rebuilt the trust, then you see the intimacy, the desire for it naturally come back. So in terms of my energy, if I can focus on helping them rebuild a relationship, rather than forcing that conversation of when to have sex and if they need to have sex or if it's okay to have sex right after they they face the crisis of adultery. So, yeah, I mean, that's... It building off those two reasons, it gives us some sense of when they can start reconnecting again. Well, that's helpful. And you just told a story about a couple that was very enthusiastic about being restored to one another sexually. But for some couples, it will not be that way. For some couples, it's going to be awkward and difficult. What are some of the difficulties that a couple might anticipate as they come together again for the first time? And what are some ways that they can think about to respond to those? Yeah, so... Um, some of the questions we want to consider as counselors is if previously how their sexual relationship was, if they were struggling in it, uh, we want to have honest conversations to help them think about where they've struggled with intimacy and what it could look like. And especially um, because the culture pours so many bad influences into even Christians' minds in terms of what sex should be, we want to help them figure out what a godly, redemptive, healthy biblical picture of sex is according to scripture and how God has the most beautiful picture of what intimacy and marriage could look like. So I want to first check to make sure that they have the right understanding of what God intends for them and realign that. I also want to be really sensitive to 
the one who was betrayed to be vulnerable again. They'll be self-protective. It'll be hard to take down the walls. They'll be scared to be vulnerable again because they're going to be scared they can be hurt all over again. And that, that, that's, that's hard to walk through, and especially if sex is the most vulnerable of things you could ever do. So patiently and gently encouraging them to take the steps. And that may not mean then, you know, you get a hotel room like that couple, you have intercourse. It might mean helping them get on the on-ramp and go slowly up that on-ramp and taking steps towards building the intimacy as trust is rebuilt. But, you know, as, as much as the adulterer works hard over the course of time to show that they can earn the trust of their spouse again, that's, that's going to play hugely into whether the spouse is willing to be vulnerable again. Mm. Um, and that, that's the hard work of the adulterer, showing that the gospel can transform them in the midst of the mess that was created, and that paves the way for rebuilding the trust and then rebuilding the opportunity for being intimate. Mm. But, you know, for some couples, that could be months. For some couples, that could be much longer mm-hmm. because of the pain that was evoked with the adultery, and the process just can be slower, in which case, as a counselor— and the adulterer, there has to be a lot of patience uh, in, in that process. The other thing to be involved is, I mean, I'm a big fan of making sure that a Titus II approach, that we have both men and women counselors involved in the process. And so I've got several um, biblical counselors who are on staff with me at the church who work with me, both men and women. If one of the ladies, say, who are working, one of the female counselors on our staff, say, She's not ready yet. And give me, give me good reasons. Well, we're going to work in marital counseling, the four of us, to work towards that and take as much time as we need. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can visit us at our website at biblicalcounseling.com.